This morning, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. So if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles. If you don't have one, please borrow one of ours in the back of the pews. Or open your Bible apps to Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. This is one of my personal favorite chapters of Romans and one of my favorite sections. Every time I read this, I'm reminded of how much I need God because it is so easy to become enslaved to sin. So if you would, follow along with me as we read Romans 6, chapter chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I have I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you offered to the just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to the ever increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's good to see you all. It's uh, good to have... Ed with us again this week, and I think probably safe to say those of you who've had a chance to get to know him have enjoyed doing that, just as I have, and uh, we're, it's going to be a couple of Sundays before we see him again, and next time you see him on a Sunday, he'll be preaching at you, but uh, until then, I, I would challenge somebody to take, take him out and buy his lunch today, get to know him a little bit, and uh, get an opportunity, and if you don't get to today, someone beats you to it, he'll be back again, just be patient, so... Uh, get to get to know Ed a little bit while he's here with us, and uh, he's a, he's a pretty neat guy. I've enjoyed getting to know him. So we're in this series called "Me and God," and "Me and God" are like different things. You know, we've looked at different metaphors of what our relationship with God is like, what He's like, and how we relate to Him. And uh, last week we looked at "Me and God" are like a debtor and a redeemer. And what all that entails. And you can still go back and listen to any of these messages or the ones from last fall that were in this same uh, series. This is kind of a renewed series we're doing here. And and you can go and find those on cypressstreet.org slash listen or uh, or send them to someone that you think would like to hear it. And uh, so take advantage of that. But we're going to dive in here again and look at a new one today. And we're doing this because... It's, it's instinctual that we all want to know, you know, who is God and what does he have to do with me? And this is something that, you know, for non-Christians, for, you know, they're wrestling with it and they, and they search in all different places and in all different ways to try and figure this answer out. And for Christians, 
we wrestle with it because ultimately, we, if we believe that in God, then we want to know more about Him, right? And, and what our relation to Him is like. And that's, you know, our whole lifelong journey is to discover that and uncover that. And so, uh, here again, we, we dive in again and look at a, a new metaphor. And this one, admittedly less comfortable than the last, alright? The, the metaphor of slave and master. How would you feel about being called a slave? There are, maybe I shouldn't admit this as a pastor, but there are some passages of scripture that are a little uncomfortable for me sometimes. They're a little shocking. Uh, they, I, sometimes I just don't really like them. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe this is kind of one of those cases today. And, and a lot of times it's things that Jesus says. And he said things, you know, we, we paint this picture sometimes of Jesus as this guy that walked around saying these little happy thoughts and telling happy stories. And, but he said things that were controversial. He said things that were hard to swallow. Sometimes he said things that seemed like with the intended consequence of driving fair-weather disciples away. He said things that we don't always like. And here's one of them. One time he said... Which of you? Now, the context here, he's teaching. He's doing some, and there's a kind of a broad audience at present. But at this point, the author of Luke says, he turns to his disciples. So he's talking to people who are following him. And here's what he says to them. Which of you disciples, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, will come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. This is hard to swallow. Jesus, first of all, asks us to put ourselves in the shoes of a slave owner which would be easier for people in his day to imagine than for us, perhaps. And, but in their economy, this was a common part of things. People even sold themselves into slavery for a season. If they were on hard times and that kind of thing, they could uh, have a much better life serving someone that was a good master than they could, you know, trying to make ends meet some other way. And so they'd do it. Anyhow, it was part of life part of that system, part of that economy, part of that culture. The disciples would have been familiar with it. And Jesus asks them to step into the shoes of someone who owns slaves and to say, okay, would you ever do this? You know, you're sitting down, your slave comes in from a long day's work, a hard day's work, and, and, uh, and you'd say, oh, sit down, let me, let me feed you something. No, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, if owners started treating slaves as though they were the owners, the whole system would get messed up, right? It just doesn't, I mean, anarchy. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. He says, no, you, you would have them serve you, and then they can eat something after they're done. And you wouldn't say, oh, you know, thank you, thank you. You know, I mean, they're just doing what they're supposed to do. They're not going above and beyond what their duties are. And then the tough part is, Jesus turns this around and says, therefore you are the slave now, okay? You put yourself in the master's shoes, now put yourself in the slave's shoes. And here's what you need to say. We're not worthy. We're just slaves. We're just doing what we ought to do. 
Now, how do you feel about being a slave? How do you feel about being called a slave? This isn't the only time that Jesus did this. There's another passage where he said, uh, you know, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. How do you feel about being called a slave? Now, if you're like me, it's a little uncomfortable. You're not sure that you uh, agree with all that kind of talk. When it comes to you, then uh, I've got just a warning and, a, and then a reassurance, all right? And the warning would be, if you feel like you're a little too high and mighty for God to be calling you a slave, <laughs> it might be time for a dose of humility. Because I have a feeling that it would be far better to be a slave of God than to be the most powerful man in this world. And, and so we need, maybe need a dose of humility. See, that part of you that doesn't like that is that sinful part of you that, you know, all the way from the fall of man that really wants to be God. Really wants to be like, more like God's peer than his creation. And so sometimes we need a dose of humility. But the, the reassuring part that I'll give you is that uh, each of these metaphors, remember, they tell a part of the story a part of the truth of our relationship to God and not the whole. And in fact, next week we look at another metaphor. In fact, sometimes it shows up right next door to this one. And it's almost the complete opposite of this one. And so, come back next week if today gets you down a little bit. But the truth is, we're not as in control of ourselves as we'd like to think in the first place. I mean, whether, you know, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're thinking, all those verses you were just showing is exactly the kind of crazy stuff <laughs> that I would like to steer clear of. But, as you're going to see, at least Jesus and an apostle named Paul and, and myself, we think that you're probably kidding yourself if you think you're really in control of your life. And, and so, stay tuned here. The truth is that we all struggle sometimes to do what we know we ought to be doing, don't we? I mean, why is it that you know, people know they don't have the money to spend, but they spend it anyway? Why is it that you know, we do crazy stuff? I mean, okay, let me ask you this. You're so, you know, self-controlled and disciplined, right? How did it go the last time you set out to do a diet? You still doing it? <laughs> How did it go, um, you know, if you ever had to quit smoking? How'd that go for you? I bet you just dropped the first one, that was it, right? Everybody does that, right? <laughs> Man, sometimes, you know, we like to kid ourselves and tell ourselves that we're in control, but when we're honest... We struggle to do the things we know we ought to do. You know, or have you ever had to stop drinking? Have you ever had to stop trying to treat your spouse? Uh, you know, like some people have a problem with that. How they treat their spouse. I mean, it's a, it's a real problem that a lot, of, a lot of us deal with it on some level. But you know, here's the person most committed to love us in the world and yet we struggle not to say hurtful things or do hurtful things why is that 
Jesus would say it's because we're a slave to sin. He said everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's that whole slave thing again. And maybe the metaphor of slavery is all too appropriate for this struggle that we experience in our lives where we don't do what we know we ought to do and we do what we know we shouldn't do. There was a season in my life where I, this really drove home for me. Where I, there was a season where I struggled with lust for a while. And it was something in my, you know, that I've been ashamed of ever since. And yet now in, my, in ministry, in this season of life, I find myself increasingly thankful for that experience. And that may sound odd, but in ministry, man, you come up against folks who are dealing with life and struggling with stuff, and I find now that I am able to empathize and relate to people, even no matter what they're dealing with, on some level, because I understand the struggle. You know, whether it's an addiction they're dealing with, or whether it's a behavior that they can't kick, or a habit that they can't kick, or just sin stuff, however it looks. For, you know, it's all different for every one of us, but we all know the struggle. And to be able to relate to that so much better and to say, it's beyond difficult, isn't it? It's infuriating sometimes to be stuck in a situation where you know what you ought to do, you want to do it, and yet you struggle to do it. Or you know what you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyways. It's infuriating. It feels hopeless sometimes. And the amazing thing about Scripture is it doesn't pretend that that struggle doesn't exist. On the contrary, people, you know, whether it's Jesus or people like Paul that we're going to read from today, I mean, they, they dive right into this, into the thick of it. They know what it's like to struggle with sin. So one of those cases is the Apostle Paul. And there's this book in our Bibles that, uh, you know, it's... It's probably the most in-depth theological breakdown of the gospel that we have. It's pretty incredible. We call it Romans. Uh, But he just called it a letter to some Christians in Rome. (laughs) He's got this passage in Romans 7 that you you might call it affectionately the do-do-don't-do passage. And it's like a Christian version of who's on first. <laughs> you start reading that thing and pretty soon your head is spinning. But he's talking about this whole struggle of, man, sometimes I do do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do, and I do what I don't want to do what I do, and it's, <laughs> whoo, that's my paraphrase for you. Uh, it's copywritten, but you can use it if you want. And uh, he talks about this struggle. And it, well, this is interesting to me because Paul is a self-confessed rule follower. He said, I followed rules to the T, you know. I I dotted all my I's, I crossed all my T's. That's how he describes himself for us, as a devout, religious rule follower when it came to God's laws. And yet, he identifies with this struggle. It's something that we, as humans, understand and experience. And thankfully for us, he... Come, you know, he doesn't just leave it at that really confusing do do don't do passage. You know, he brings out this metaphor that he actually borrows from Jesus, and he starts saying things like, "Don't you know, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads 
to righteousness. And for Paul, as for Jesus, he says, you know, you're slaves to one thing or the other. One master or the other. You're slaves to sin or you're slaves to God. And the way you can tell is by who you obey. You're slaves to the one you obey. And for Paul, the choice between these two masters, if you will, is a pretty clear one. I mean, just look at the way he describes the benefit packages that these two masters, these two employers offer, okay? Master number one. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in what? Death. And we might add that they result in brokenness and pain and sorrow and suffering. Not just for you, but for those you love and for our society and for the whole world. And we see it in the news every day. We saw it in the news this morning. Master number two, though. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. And when Paul talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about quantity, longevity of life. The life that God offers is a rich life. It's a, this is about a quality of life as well. And everything that sin led to with death and brokenness and pain and sorrow and suffering, the ways of God lead to the opposite. And they lead to wholeness and goodness and abundance and richness and blessedness. And this is the way that God intended us to live from the start. And so Paul says, you know, it's obvious who you'd want to work for, right? I mean, you're going to obey one of these two masters and here's the results of it. So which one are you going to choose? And he makes it seem so clear cut. Who do you wake up and go to work for in the morning? Is it sin or is it God? And you know, there's some of us here that could answer that black and white question, you know. And we would say, well, you know, Pastor, honestly, I know who I go to work for in the morning and a lot of times it ain't God. And, and there's others of us here that would say, well, you know, sincerely, I, I really do. I wake up every morning and I go to work for God. But I think most of us probably feel like we fall in some kind of gray area that Paul doesn't seem to allow for. And Jesus didn't really seem to allow for it either when he said things like, you can't serve two masters. And yet a lot of us, we find ourselves in that struggle of wanting to obey God wanting to go to work for God every day, and yet we find ourselves doing things that we know we shouldn't do. And so what gives? And again, thankfully, Paul's not done. He's just getting started. He's just getting warmed up here in Romans 6. And in Romans 7 and 8, he continues this line of thinking, and he starts offering some helpful tips and advice. And one of those is in Romans 7, where he says, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can feel the way, this is right, kind of next door to that do-do-don't-do passage in Romans 7. And Paul is, you can hear the frustration in his voice. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this craziness? I'm sick of it. 
And he says, thanks be to God. It's like he takes a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath right now. Feels good. I needed that. And sometimes when you're in the struggle of sin, you need to take a deep breath and remember the gospel that is yours. Remember the salvation. That is, remember the forgiveness that was purchased for you at the cross at such a steep price. Remember the joy of your salvation. That there is deliverance in Jesus Christ. And even as you're in the midst of the struggle, just take a deep breath and own your salvation that was purchased for you by grace at the cross. And that feels good, and we need that deep breath, but we also know that that by itself doesn't resolve the tension. Because that tension was still there, even after you first came to know the joy of your salvation. And you're still fighting this struggle. So we need something more than that, Paul. And so we go to Romans 8, the next chapter, and this is like the, this chapter is like the climax of, of Romans. I mean, and this is... This is where it gets really good. And, and this particular passage, I believe, this last, ha- last half of verse 13 is probably the most powerful words ever spoken into this struggle that we all identify with at some level. But we're going to start with verse 12 because it needs to be in context. And, and you'll notice that he's still using words that deal with this same concept of slave to sin or slave to God. You know, obligation ties back to that whole slavery metaphor. And he uses the word flesh instead of sin, but he's still talking about the same things here. And he says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, not to sin, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. And catch this. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We could sum it up like this. You need to wake up every morning ready to wage battle with the Holy Spirit. Wake up every morning ready to do battle alongside the Holy Spirit. And Paul's answer is yeah, it's a struggle, but you're not alone in this struggle. So dive headfirst into the struggle, but do it with the Holy Spirit. Your holiness, your sanctification, your obedience is not marked by your perfection, but by who you go to work for and with every day. If the Old Testament people of God had to fight a thousand battles to ever win and take the promised land, then you and I can rest assured that we'll fight a thousand battles, we'll die a thousand deaths to ourselves, to our old selves, our former selves, before we lay hold of that which God has promised and set aside for us in a new, abundant, eternal life. This isn't pretty. If it was pretty, Paul would have said something about 
you know, with the, with the Holy Spirit, just do this new life thing. <laughs> but he didn't, did he? He said, by the Spirit, put to death. Put to death. It's violent. It's a battle. It's a struggle. And scripture doesn't gloss over that. Instead it says, this is what you do. This is what you do. You, you wake up every morning ready to do battle alongside the Holy Spirit. But we still don't like this whole slave and master thing. We still don't like this whole idea of not being in control of ourselves. In our society, it's all about the power of the individual. It's all about the power of one. And we can overcome if we just try hard enough. It's the American dream, right? You know, if you just work hard enough and you do good, anybody can rise to great heights. You can pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. This is the way we like to think. And this is what we like to believe about ourselves. And we don't even like to talk about, uh, you know, rejecting or fighting against our nature. You know, that's not what we do as, in America. We, we embrace our nature, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever you feel like you are or believe you are or whatever tendencies you feel, those are to be embraced and not rejected and fought against. And we all put up this veneer. This, we hide behind this curtain that makes it look like we've got it together. But in reality, we all know that we don't. We know it because we want to lose weight, but we can't make ourselves do it. We know it because we want to treat the people that love us the most the way they ought to be treated, but we just can't do it. We know it because we know we shouldn't go back to that website, but we do. We know it because we shouldn't touch another drop, but we do. We know it because all of us, at some level, understand that there's things that we know we ought to be doing, but we just can't seem to make ourselves do it. And there's things we know we shouldn't be doing, but we can't seem to stop ourselves from doing it. And the difference, the difference between Christianity and a good self-help book is the real power to do something about it. And that's why when Paul gets to Romans 8, he all of a sudden starts talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he says, if by the Spirit you are putting to death, because he knows the struggle. And he knows how hopeless it is if you try to go it in your own strength. And so he talks about the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is real? Do you believe that that power is really available to you in this battle that you wage against your old self and sin? The gospel at its heart is all about... I mean, that's why Jesus came, right? So that in His death, we can die to our old self. And so that in His resurrection, we can embrace the same power that broke the chains of death and raised Jesus Christ. You know, that same power that did that for Him is available to us to break the chains of sin in our life and help us to live in His way of life. That's the power of the Gospel. 
And so I want to ask you, you know, hopefully if you didn't fill out those first blanks on your card, you can the wake up every morning ready to do battle alongside the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to fill in enemy number one. And I want you to pick a struggle that you struggle with. Just pick one. If you've got a dozen that come to mind, just start with one. And write down in that blank enemy number one. And in the morning when you wake up, say a prayer, something like, God, you know I'm struggling with this. I need your Holy Spirit's help today to win. And then get up and go to battle against that enemy number one. At least do that for a week. Maybe just keep going until it's good and dead. Then pick your next enemy, number one, and start all over again. This is the job of a Christian. This is what we do. This is what we're called to do. Do you believe that the power to do that is real? I have a, a real friend, believe it or not, and uh, but today he has a fake name. You never know who's listening online anymore these days, and I didn't ask permission to share this, so just be generic. But I have a friend named Jake, and Jake grew up in a home with a dad who was an alcoholic, and, and he was an alcoholic, Jake was, from the time he was a teenager. In fact, by the time he was almost 50, he had spent most of his life drunk. He had gotten himself on sex offenders list. He would gotten himself in prison. And in prison, with a, with a woman and a daughter on the outside that loved him, he turned to God. And he began a journey with God. And there wasn't some instant transformation. He got out of prison. He started coming to church. And there still wasn't an instant transformation, but he kept coming. Eventually, he made some progress. He got involved with the worship ministry, up on stage singing praise to God. He had a setback or two. Landed himself in rehab again. Got back out. Got back to work on it again. And today, Jake is not a perfect man, but he's a sober one, and he's a family man, and he stands up from week to week and helps lead God's people in worshiping their God. You want to tell me there's not real power? Because the prison system couldn't fix Jake. Twelve steps couldn't fix Jake. The Holy Spirit can do amazing things in people's lives. And He can do amazing things in our lives as well. Do you believe it today? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your better way of life. 
We admit that we struggle sometimes to live it out the way we should. We struggle with this thing called sin. And Holy Spirit, we so desperately need your power in our lives to continually, till the day we get to see you face to face, stay at work putting to death our old way of life. Rejecting our slavery to sin and embracing you as our master. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one more thing I want to say before the praise team comes and leads us in the song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, which I hope you'll sing from the heart today. But I just want to point out that obedience... That doing all this is not the way that you're saved. It's not. In fact, I think that's what Jesus was driving at when he said those words that kind of made us uncomfortable at the beginning of this message, you know, about how we're slaves and, and we need to just say at the end of the day, we're unworthy slaves, we've just done what we ought to have done. <laughs> you remember that? And I think part of the point of that was, look, at the end of the day, this business of putting to death your sinful nature, that's just what men and women of God do. That's what we do. That's not what saves us. And maybe I could put it this way to you. Obedience is not how you punch your ticket. It's what you do with your ticket once you've punched it. Once you get that ticket, then obedience is what we do. That's what we do. We've chosen to be slaves to God, not slaves to sin. We've chosen what we believe is a better way of life. And so obedience is not the way that we punch our ticket. The only way we do that is through the cross of Christ. The only way we do that is, is by responding to the gospel, by repenting from our old way of life and saying, God, I'm ready to start living your way of life. And if you find yourself today in a spot where you're ready to repent from that old way of life and turn to a new and better way of life, then you're ready to punch your ticket. You're ready to give your life to God. You're ready to get right with God. And I encourage you to do that today. Just pray to God and let Him know that's what you want to do. And if you would, fill out a card so that I can get in touch with you and talk to you about what that means, what that decision means. And I can talk to you about baptism. Because baptism is the most beautiful picture of what we're talking about today. Of dying to our old self and being raised up into newness of life. And it's the one thing that Jesus tells us we need to do publicly when we come to Him.